0: And welcome to episode eighty-six of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers. That means we love looking up at the night sky, and this podcast is for anyone else who enjoys going out under the stars. And we have not been able to do that this week, have we, Shane?
1: What What's a star? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's been it's been bad weather here. It's been so cloudy, and now we're getting into the cold. Um, it really hasn't been good for Oh gee, weeks, maybe a, a month.
0: Yeah. yeah yeah there's been a few weeks a uh, few weeks here that we really haven't seen much in the way of night sky at all. The, there, there was a couple nights I think where it was somewhat clear, but I went out one night and it was uh, pretty cold minus uh, whatever and then 35 or you know more than 20 mile an hour winds uh, too windy. but uh, yeah, and then now we've we've moved into the into the cold, which we haven't had as much of this year. Uh, But this morning, when I got up, it was minus 30 degrees Celsius below zero. And uh, I think that's like minus 20 Fahrenheit or something like that, or whatever it is, it's cold or zero degrees Fahrenheit or something. Uh, Yeah, very, very cold. Um, Really too cold to to do much astronomy, even if it was clear, and they were saying it was clear, it was not clear. I looked out the window and it was it was totally overcast and there was a bit of wind. I wasn't seeing what it was with the wind but um, when I checked there's like an extreme uh, cold uh, warning saying like if you go out you will uh, get frostbite in three to four minutes. So challenging.
1: Yeah yeah it was supposed to be clear last night and I was planning to just do like a short binocular session in the backyard um, but it just, it, the, the, clearness never came. Uh, I saw a couple of bright stars, but that was it. It, uh, it did not, it did not translate into anything of noteworthy for the podcast. That's for sure.
0: So you sent me a, uh, email from one of our regular listeners this morning and I was yeah. excited to get that because that person was, was doing, uh, actual astronomy and looking at the moon.
1: Yeah, yeah. Phil from the UK, who often uh, sends us audio messages, um, sent us an audio message with a, a picture. Um, now, I know, like some of Phil's recent messages, uh, they, they haven't had great weather uh, in the UK, or at least where he is uh, recently either. But uh, he must have had some clearness because he was able to use uh, his TMB uh, planetary eyepiece, 2.5 millimeter, uh, in his new uh what is it a five inch reflector 114 yeah. millimeter
0: yeah something well, like that four and a
1: half inch that would be four and a half inch
0: yeah i th- although i thought today he said it was 130 but i, I keep thinking it's the 130 but uh I, I can't quite recall gotta gotta get him on and and have us uh, have us a review of that one uh, sort of live in person so we can get it nailed down
1: yeah yeah but uh he he sent us an Kind of an interesting audio re- review of the TMB, and uh, I think maybe we should play it, Chris, because, like you said, you and I have not done any observing, so it's just nice to hear from somebody who has done some observing.
0: All right, and with that, we'll uh, we'll insert the audio here. We're actually not going to listen to it, but we'll just pause for a moment. Then it will be like it played, and then uh, we'll be right back.
2: Okay, so a super, super, super quick um review of the TMB planetary 2.5 mm eyepiece um, i got a f- good chance to go out tonight um, and <laughs> i went through all my eyepieces and i can confer i can concur should i say that the 2.5 mm TMB absolutely makes you feel like you are flying in a lander just over the surface of the moon. Um, I was concentrating on humorous 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 um, basin, um, which is number fifty four on the lunar 100 um, list. On the Sky and Telescope Lunar One Hundred card, which also, which I can also confirm, is a brilliant, brilliant little piece of kit. Just to have out, it's laminated, and uh, yeah, for for three three bucks, that's it's a no brainer. You have gotta get one if you are interested in anything Lunar. Um, the I will attach a picture here um, with this with this review. Um, and yeah, I think you'll you'll find this was a very um, <laughs> because I'm actually going through an eyepiece. It was I had to take a video, and I've taken a screenshot of a video, so the quality isn't exactly uh, well. It's not uh, anyway. I don't think as good as seeing through the eyepiece, but it just does give you an indication of um, what to expect. Now I'm using an f 4.4 Skywatcher Skyhawk. <laughs> uh four and a half inch 500 millimeter uh focal length um scope enjoy and uh yeah stay safe people wow that was a great recording
0: (laughs) i mean it is kind of strange to do that but (laughs) but to listeners uh, they'll they'll feel like we were right there with them listening uh along and uh no i really enjoyed that i i i i enjoyed that he talked about uh uh, the humorous uh, region or humorous And uh, I just thought that was, uh, that was great. And uh, sort of reminiscent of when, when I had one of, I think it was the two and a half that I had and then sold uh, to you, wasn't it? It was the two and a half or 3.2 yep. or something like that. Was it the two and a half? Two yeah. And a half. Yep. yep. Yeah. That was from the original TMB. I, I bought that from uh, or, or through uh, Thomas back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I remember that eyepiece. I didn't use it a lot myself Um, just because I had like big light buckets at that time. Like I, I think it was either my eight inch reflector or my 12 inch reflector that I had and a two and a half millimeter eyepiece just doesn't work well with something like that with that long of a focal length. Yeah. Um, But what I really liked about Phil's observation uh, was his comparison to like Uh, you know, being in a lunar lander or like one of the, the craft that would orbit uh, the moon um, and just get that like kind of immersion feeling like you're there. Yeah. And um, you know, if you have a high enough power eyepiece with a wide enough field of view, uh, you definitely get that feeling. And, and uh, you know, I think the, um, the Teleview ethos 3.7 millimeter is specifically designed to give what is it? The view through the Apollo simulator or something, something like, that. like
0: that? Yeah. Like yeah. That. Yeah.
1: So that eyepiece has actually always intrigued me just for that reason to, to kind of have that like spaceship porthole feeling when looking at the moon. But yeah, but I've never did, I've never pulled the trigger because that's not a cheap eyepiece either.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I did know somebody who had that eyepiece. They were uh, a member of our local club for, for a brief while. And I remember I felt bad because it had a a two inch to one and a quarter, um, uh, I guess a step down. But it was actually part of the eyepiece, and we were okay. out at night. And I think actually, if I recall correctly, it was my bad advice that said, "Hey, what?" Like he was asking if it could be used in just a one and a quarter inch diagonal or something. And and I said, "Well, there's only one one way to find out. Just like sort of unthread that and see if it would work." Seemed to make sense to me, but it was in the dark. And so like, how would, like, maybe that wasn't the best time to do it. So he unthreaded it. And I remember the uh, optical elements fell out. <laughs> what? Yeah. This isn't the, I don't think I ever told you that story, but uh, oh. yeah. Um, okay. I didn't want to observe with me again. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Mental note. Never, <laughs> never listen to Chris while observing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think it was like one of those things where somebody was, it was first of all, it was dark. And I was observing and I was kind of chatting with them sort of over my shoulder and in the dark. And I had, you know, I, maybe I didn't quite realize uh, and I wasn't really paying that close attention to, to uh, what was going on there. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't do it. It was, I think I, I had said, well, you could probably do this. And they were like, all right. And just unthreaded it. So you
1: know, wow. whoop, you <laughs> That would be heartbreaking. But you know, one of the nice things with, with Teleview, I think like if any of that type of stuff ever happens, if you send them the bits and pieces, you know, like the the elements of the eyepiece, if, if you send it all back to them, they'll put it back together. They they will charge you, but they, they have outstanding
0: post-purchase customer service. Yeah, Maybe one I, out of the best. I won't go on too much about it, but But all I remember from it is, is we like taking, like putting on all the lights that we could get to find the optical elements. Um, They had done it in their trunk, fortunately, and their trunk actually was pretty clean. (laughs) And I remember finding like one, it was like half of a ball. Like it was like, like if you had a ball of glass and then had just cut it in two and I'm like, Hmm, I wonder where that goes. (laughs) (laughs) right? anyway. So uh, yeah, don't, don't take eyepiece assembly or disassembly advice from me. Um,
1: yeah.
0: I'm not an optician. Well, you know,
1: I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, share one of my stories that, you know, I guess kind of aligns to that theme of acts. Well, taking an eyepiece apart and then having the elements, uh, do something you weren't expecting. And, uh, it's with my, uh, TMB super mono, uh, five millimeter. Um, what I had read like the eye relief on those is quite tight and that usually means that the eyelashes will touch the the glass at some point because you blink and then it leaves a little bit of uh, like kind of oil behind. Yeah. Um, And and after a period of time you want to clean that. And I had read that the, one of the great things of the super monos is that um, they're super easy to clean. Like there's three elements, but they're all cemented together and there's no top or bottom. Like you can flip it around and it still performs the exact same. So you just like unscrew this one area. You need a, uh, I think you need a spanner tool to okay. uh, take off like a compression ring, and then out comes the element. Well, uh, the element fell out as I like kind of took this all apart, kind of bounced off my desk onto the floor. <laughs> it was carpet, so you know it didn't have a, a hard landing. But the size, like what shocked me is, you know the the size of the glass was, Small? I would say, maybe two millimeters long, maybe three. Whoa. And about about the width of a pen, like a big pen tip. Like it was just, it's the smallest piece of glass imaginable. <laughs> and it was very difficult to find. I eventually found it. Oh, it
0: together, wow. And said, That's... I'm never cleaning these again. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't tell me that. That's an amazing story. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So,
1: um, yeah, I guess be careful with expensive optics.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've been very reluctant to clean mine, although strangely enough, I think I have to clean my five millimeter XO cause I did use that quite a bit for Mars observing this year. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's gotten a lot of use, so <laughs> it yeah. needs to be cleaned. Um, and that's the nature of it. You know, if you are using this stuff, sometimes, uh, you, uh, you do have to clean it. So. Oh well, yeah. 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 So uh, I put it in the notes. Don't know if you you read, but I actually bit oh, the yeah. bullet and bought an observing chair this week.
1: I know my you, like. I think Jessica thought I saw a ghost because <laughs> I have spent Chris money.
0: Chris spent money. What is going on here? Yeah, am I? Exactly. Dr- am I dreaming? So yeah. It tell me all on, about it. It was what on you sale. <laughs> you can imagine how oh, often yeah. I've, I've been looking for years and and. You know, I don't think observing chairs go on sale very frequently. Anybody who's listening to this is going to think, yeah, observing chairs do not go on sale. And I literally waited for a sale. (laughs) I
1: bought one. It's bizarre that there's even a sale now because of how, like, basically any astronomy equipment is so hard to find right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I wasn't, like usually Teleview has an annual sale. Yeah, Uh, Takahashi sometimes does, but I'm not expecting any sales for a few years because they can't keep
0: you know, stock on the shelves right now. So, so I'm thinking that people don't buy observing chairs first.
1: Yeah. 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 You're right. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, uh, any, anyhow. Yeah. So I did buy one and, uh, and yeah, there's, there's that. So, uh, pretty, pretty excited to get that. So I bought the, uh, Brilla back, uh, Hydra two, um, which is a little close to the ground and, uh, it looks really stable. I'm not sure why it's called the Hydra 2, you know, which is the water snake constellation Hydra. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't mean I'll be taking a dip in the middle of the night. Um, or,
1: or that the grassland snakes pay you a visit in your sleeping bag.
0: Well, let's not even <laughs> joke about that. Like the last time I was down there, I had a all too close encounter with a giant rattler. So we'll just, yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, uh, I just pulled
1: up a picture of
0: it. Yeah. So it should be pretty good. It weighs about eight yeah. pounds. So it's not super heavy. It should be, I, w- I was tempted to get the the larger one. Um, and in fact, I actually may when it, they go on sale again and uh, and have one for home that that's taller. Maybe I'll get one like yours that that's taller for oh, sort of yeah. being, being around the, the house. Um, but like, the when we're out, yeah, when we're out traveling um, you know, it, it, it's always tough to have uh, too much gear and every pound is like oh and honestly you just i think you and i talked about this before you multiply everything by 10 uh, basically so if you're taking 10 pounds of gear which seems like nothing you know where' where we're going 10 pounds of gear is like you know dragging 100 pounds of stuff with you it seems so so uh, i bought the smallest lightest one that, that i it just means i'll have to knock the tripod down uh a little bit if if I'm looking in certain areas of the sky i guess but shouldn't be a big deal
1: no, oh, well, that'll be, that'll be a big quality of life improvement for you. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. I was, you know, in, for, for the most part, when things are in most of the sky, I'm okay. Cause I'm not, I'm not as tall a person as you are. You're, you're a rather tall person. So uh, one of the few advantages of that is that I, I can get by a little bit better, um, without, uh, with, without a chair or a super tall tripod or anything like that. But then, uh, when I was, when Mars finally got as high as it was getting, um, I was kind of getting into a pretty awkward, uh, spot where a chair, you know, I really, I I needed a chair. That's just what it came down to. And there was, there was no two ways about it. And the chair that I do have is like a three-legged chair and it's good on like cement or a very hard surface, very hard, flat surface. And where I, where I have my tripod, uh, set up for, for that, uh, those observations of Mars, it just isn't flat, and my backyard is kind of soft, and uh, I, I couldn't set it up there, so I was a little bit out of luck. So I, w- I was really wanting that. And I thought, yeah, I should should get one, and uh, then I saw they were on on sale. So once uh, you know uh, had Christmas paid off, I uh, I, I bought myself a, a Christmas present. And kind of what I did is I, I, you know, because of the the COVID and and distance from family and friends and everything this year. And received a couple of gifts of money, and so I think that will that will cover probably about half of it. So, you know, oh, nice. it was, nice. yeah. So uh, yeah, so it should be uh, should be pretty good. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. I have no long no idea how long it will take to get here. Uh, it's mm-hmm. coming from the states USPS or U, UPS. Sorry, um, I prefer things to come USPS mm-hmm. because there's a better handoff with uh, can post. And the last time I ordered from UPS from the states holy cow, I figure it was, it was at least six weeks. So I'm mm-hmm. guessing, uh, I'll be doing really good to have it by, uh, by March or, you know, should definitely have it by, by spring, but it's kind of what I was thinking right now is that, um, it's a good time to kind of be planning, uh, you know, for, for slightly warmer months or, or clearer nights, at least anyway, since, since we don't have, uh, since we don't have, uh, much in the way of skies right now.
1: Yeah, hundred uh, percent. This this time of the year, I start to do a
0: little bit of an inventory
1: check of you know what's the next thing on my list that I want for summer observing, and you know this is this is the time to order it because if there are delays, it really doesn't matter. You'll still have it for you know the uh, the the first time that we probably venture to a dark sky in May, assuming everything works out. Yeah. Um, So, you know, and, and the chair, I bet will, will even extend your observing sessions. You know, when we, when we kind of hit the wall towards the end of the night, Mm -hmm. um, I think a chair can extend a session by 30 to to 60 minutes easily because you just, you know, it's one less thing you're doing now. You just sit back, relax, take some casual views.
0: Yeah. uh, I'm, I'm really hoping it's comfortable. So yeah, it, it should be, those are supposed to be very good. So here's hoping.
1: Yeah. Well, congratulations on the chair.
0: Yeah, good stuff. You were saying, uh, you know, uh, speaking of lists kind of thing, um, that sort of purchase list. This one had been on my purchase list for at least a good half a dozen years. Um, but uh, we were chatting with, uh, w- with one of our listeners, and we were talking about observing lists. Um, and they had actually made a, a pretty good suggestion about uh, maybe putting up our, our observing lists or the lists that we're working on uh, onto the website. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think the suggestion was that, uh, you know, some listeners uh, may be inclined to observe similar objects, because it's kind of neat to observe, um, like the same stuff, but compare observations, because Mm -hmm. everybody has different instruments, different eyepieces. Um, and just different ways of observing or, or, maybe recording the observation. So it's kind of a fun exercise, I think, to have uh, you know a few people observing the same stuff, um, and then you, you know, you can have conversations about it. And uh, I think everybody either learns or sort of lives vicariously through each other. So yeah, I thought it was a, a great suggestion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the, just yeah. to see who that was here. That was that was Chris.
0: Okay. The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, not, uh, Taptron, not this Chris. I think. Not that, not yeah, yeah, Chris with the Tektron, yeah, yeah. yeah, Chris has the 18 inch Tektron, which I mistakenly thought that I had looked through the 18 Tektron, but the 18 inch that Mark has is uh, a light box. But he had had the 15 inch Tektron, and we had we had observed through the 15 inch Tektron a whole pile, so maybe maybe splitting.
1: Didn't Mike, Mike bought, buy the Tektron?
0: Yeah, but then he hasn't really done as as much yeah. with it. I think it needed yeah. a bit of a retrofit, and uh, and it is it's a bigger scope. You almost need almost need an observatory or something for it. Um, yep. So m- maybe if I get that dark sky site, he can, he can, he can set it up out there and uh, <laughs> put it in a in a storage facility of some sort, and I can just have use of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I mean, he listens an to motive there. <laughs> I think he listens to this. So he'll, he'll get that in his ear. One of these days <laughs> should be pretty good. Um, yeah. So speaking of lists, um, they were asking like, what lists have, have we done? So, uh, we belong to the RASC, which is the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, which is basically the big Canadian astronomy club. It's got a few thousand members. um, and they have a pile of certificates. They have a Messier certificate, a Finest NGC, which is kind of like, kind of like the uh, Caldwell catalog. And yep. then we have the uh, Deep Sky Challenge, Explore the Universe, the Isabel Williamson Lunar Program, and then we have uh, an introduction uh, to the Moon. Uh, we have an introduction to the uh, double stars, which is just uh, which has just come out. Um, and then we have a list uh, from from David Levy called the Deep Sky Gems. Um, and I, I was actually the chair of the observing committee for the organization, for the national organization for a while. Uh, and I hadn't I actually haven't done any of the programs. Have you, you you've done a few of these? I think I actually awarded you one of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, 82. I've I've only done the one. Uh, okay. I did the Messier list and yeah, you awarded me that certificate uh cuz you were the the chair of the observing committee at that time. Yeah. And uh I've I've started uh, to chip away at the finest NGC and then also the uh Isabel Williamson one for mm-hmm. lunar observing. Um you know the the lunar observing one uh is I'm going to say it's really difficult and here's Mm -hmm. why it's not actually observing all of the features on the moon. It's that the level of commitment that you have to have to do that is extremely high because there's sometimes where you need to be up at four in the morning to see the moon or or to see the feature that you want on the moon. Um, So either, you know, either you do that to get it done or you just wait an extremely long time to see everything kind of on your own time. Yeah. And uh that makes that list really, really challenging.
0: Yeah. So for for me anyway, and, and when it comes to lists and certificates, um what happened was so I started doing astronomy just on my own. Um, and I did that for for quite a few years because I was I was a younger person and uh you know I don't I don't want to offend anybody because you know I certainly have a few more years behind me now, but Um, I kind of went to some astronomy things and everybody seemed like so much older than me. There was nobody there my age and I just didn't really connect with it. So I was like, and it was interesting. It was a bit over my head and I was just kind of like, I just like to do it. I just like to take my telescope. And if I can get a friend to go with me, fine. If I can't, I'll just go by myself and, and I'll just observe. And, and I did that for years. And so I, I, knew that people were, would do the Messier list and get a certificate and but I thought, well, I should do that, so I did that. I went through the messy objects over the, the course of about the first uh, year or so when, when I was doing astronomy like this, um, and then I started observing a lot of galaxies, and I don't know how many galaxies I observed. I, I gotta say, I gotta say, I've observed at least a thousand galaxies, and after I looked at a thousand galaxies or whatever it was, it was a lot. Um, I had an 8-inch telescope, and and I was living under really dark skies. And, uh, I just kind of went, i kind of had my fill of galaxies. (laughs) And then I moved on, um, just, just a general observing, just like looking at the star chart and saying, Hey, you know, I wonder if I can even see this and doing some reading in the astronomy sky and telescope magazines, and then trying to hunt down, you know, anything that they were talking about in there. And then after I did that for a couple of years, I decided that, uh, I just needed a break from it. So I took a break for about a year or so, and then I then I finally joined uh, an astronomy club when I was, uh, I guess, in my uh, well, anyway, uh, much younger than I am now, but older than you know. I'd been doing astronomy for five or six years at that point, I think. So anyway, I, I sort of had done a ton of observing, and then when I showed up at the club, and I was like, oh, like you know, all these. Individuals had, had already done their master's certificates years before. In fact, they'd all done them years before I'd even gotten into astronomy. And so I was, I was like, well, like, what are, what are they doing now? Because I had kind of already observed as much or, or more than, than a lot of those individuals had anyway at that point. And some of them were working on really interesting projects. And I'm like, well, I could either go back and kind of retrace my, my steps uh, or I can kind of move ahead and in, in chatting with these individuals they kind of encouraged me to kind of move ahead. Like, so by that point, you know, a lot of people might be trying to hunt down M33 for the first time when they join an astronomy club. But, you know, I, I was like, well, I, I want to see uh, NGC 604 in M33 at that point. So you're kind of, mm-hmm. you're, you're looking at different things uh, by that point in your sort of amateur astronomy, uh, you know, journey. So I was like, well, I don't really want to go back and kind of kind of redo it. And I wasn't a sketcher because some people would take up sketching and then go back and do them. And I did oh, eventually yeah. take up sketching, but you, you know, that's story. I've, I've gone off in, in different directions, but, uh, yeah, yeah. but anyway, you, yeah. So you're working on the uh, Isabel Williamson one. That's, that's really cool. I've thought about doing that one just because I, I'm not really much of a lunar observer, but uh, we'll, we'll see, but are you working on any other, any other programs? Are you, do, are you trying to do the double star program that's just come out?
1: Uh, I will, I will, uh, do the double star one. Um, I haven't started that one yet. Um, lately what I've been doing in the backyard is I take out the, uh, well, there's a couple things I do. Um, one is I take out the bright star Atlas, um, mm-hmm. by Will Tyrion and Brian Skiff. Um, it lists, um, quite a few constellations on each page. Like it's not a, it's not a detailed, uh, atlas. And it's really, really good, I think, for binoculars and small telescopes, um, which means you're looking at a lot of bright objects or a lot of um, sizable objects like, um, you know, clusters or associations that take up a big chunk of the sky. Um, and therefore, a lot of this stuff is actually pretty decent for urban observing. Um, but what I like about it is for each page. So on the right hand side, you have your atlas or you know, your star map of everything. Um, but then on the left hand side it's just tables and it's got deep sky objects open mm-hmm. clusters globulars planetary and diffuse nebula double stars variables eclipsing variables pulsating variables eruptive variables other variables um, and then just some notes um, like you know uh, uh, you know m33 is the end, or sorry m31 is also known as the Andromeda galaxy but what I do is I take this out and I will just, pick a part of the sky that I want to observe and then start, you know, hunting down the clusters, the open clusters that are listed here. Yeah. Then I start hunting down the double stars that are listed here. Um, And and really that's pretty much where I leave it because galaxies and nebula aren't that great from the city. uh, And I really don't have an interest in variable stars. So I don't, uh, I don't do that one. But, but anyway, I've been doing that. So not really like a list, but sort of a bit of a project. Um, for dark skies, actually, before I get to dark skies, there is uh, two other lists that I sort of chip away at occasionally. And um, they're both from cloudy nights. Uh, One is uh, James Barnett posted this quite a while ago in 2013. And it's the year long 60 millimeter telescope challenge. Um, And there's a pile of objects on there. And what I like about it is it's you know, it's meant to push your 60 millimeter telescope to the limits in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with a small telescope of 60 millimeters, uh, if you have, say, an 80 millimeter or, or, you know, a larger telescope, this list should be pretty easy from the city uh, for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been shipping away at that. And then there's another one that is uh, super interesting, um, which I've done a lot less of. And I found this on cloudy nights, but it's um, it's by J. Reynolds Freeman, and he oh, observed yeah. the Herschel 400
0: with little red with yeah. a
1: 55 millimeter refractor. Yeah, uh, but he did it in the city, which blows yeah. my mind. So yeah, that one has always intrigued me a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, that one, uh, that one. Yeah, I think it's like I forget what it is, but it's by Jay Reynolds Freeman, and it's from man, like 1996 or something like that. So city cities. Uh, have grown in brightness since then, but still he was, yeah, you know, operating under some diverse conditions. Yeah, that that is pretty impressive. It was a 55 millimeter fluorite, like a Vixen or a Celestron yeah, or
1: something. Yeah, F8 Vixen fluorite. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but regardless, you know uh, that that was a feat. One thing I should mention is uh, the RASC, the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, has one called the ETU or the Explore the Universe. Right. So if people are are looking for a good introductory program. Um, that one is, is really good. Uh, And I would encourage people and it's free. You can just go and download, there's like a PDF you can download and people print it off. So, and you just need that your red flashlight pair of binoculars, um, and some, some basic star charts, like you can get at, uh, uh, or, or if you buy a copy of Terrence Dickinson's night watch, that would probably all you need to get going and and to really get into uh, the business of, of visual astronomy um, and, and working through a project of your, of your own. Um, but one of the lists that I'm working on as my own project. So, well, right, right now, <laughs> the one that I seem to be working more on, which I hadn't intended, is I have a list in the Observer's Handbook called uh, Wide Field Wonders. Um, which kind of seems to stump some people, it seems, uh, because it's it's a wide field uh, observing list, and so many times in in observing, people are focused on on smaller objects, and uh, the one that people keep, or there's a few that people keep coming back to me about, um, and you know they're like, well, it, it would be this object. I'm like, no, no, that that's not the object. That's a small object. This is a wide field. Like, they kind of. And I'm going down that path of, uh, of trying to really pinpoint sometimes like something very particular uh, in a region of sky. And I'm like, well, it's actually the region of sky that we're looking at here. So, for for example, I'm not sure if this is on the list or not, but um, we talked about like the Perseus, uh, the Alpha Perseus cluster, right,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, which is the big cluster around uh, Alpha Persei, or I think it's Murphak. I think that's, that's Alpha Persei in the constellation Perseus. It's right in the middle. It's a really large, um, cluster. You can see it from the city, but from a dark sky, the whole area kind of just sort of glows a bit, but you threw your binoculars on that. You can really get a pretty good view, uh, of, of all these stars that are in there. Um, but yeah, but if you take a telescope, like a, like a big telescope, like a 15 or 16 inch and you point it at that, um, you're only going to see a few stars, right? Mm -hmm. And, and this list is kind of challenging. So it's sort of a funny list, because it's a list that most people are going to try to tackle once they've already done a significant amount of observing. But then, uh, you know, when they try to point a big telescope at some of these things, they're just gonna, they're gonna not uh, be able to identify them because the field of view in a telescope is too small. So oftentimes, you're just sort of you know, pulling back to a very small and expensive wide field telescope, like an 80 millimeter F5 or something like a seven by 50 or, uh, or such binocular, like a, like a 10 by 70, uh, maybe a 20 by 80, something like that. And, and it's designed to, to really, um, I guess, push the skills of the observer once they've kind of, you know, gone past just buying a big telescope to see fainter and fainter things. There, there is still a bit of a skill development that you can do, um, you know, which is beyond just simply buying a larger telescope to bring in more light. And that's what that list is designed to do. Um, but yeah, people tend to, to I get uh, quite a few emails. Typically I get like at least one email every few months on it uh, saying, what is this? I can't see it or there's nothing there. You know, what are you using? Oh, <laughs> What's really? the instrument? Yeah. You need a, this is a binocular thing. And right now, have uh, one individual. I'm not going to go into too many personal details. Somebody you know as well, um, and they wrote me, and they were kind of frustrated because they're trying to take a photograph of it. But it's a, it's a, it is a nebula, and it's there. Um, it was one of Herschel's nebulae, um, but it got noted as non-existent because it's, it actually is very difficult to photograph. It's actually, as far as I know, it's not really photographic. It's only in the past maybe six years that they've been able to photograph larger extents, but um, there was some very early photographs of some of the regions, like maybe 50 or 60 years ago. Um, but like to see the whole region now only since um, like really the past 10 years in computer advancements in software and, uh, and CCD and that have people been able to photograph but but it's actually not too difficult to see visually. And this is uh, part of the, uh, anyway, I'm not, I'm not going to get into it. If people want to want the list. Um, we, we can post it, or if you have a copy of the Observer's Handbook, you can, uh, you can take a look for, for my list in there. And then the other list that I'm working, I put this in the notes. I think we can actually send this out. This, this is uh, from 1943. Um the Observer's Handbook in 1943 had a list of uh, 74 objects, of which most of them were on like the Messier list or they would become like galaxies that went into the finest NGC list. But this this portion here of these 35, uh, what they were calling galactic nebula or just, just nebula, um, in my opinion, form uh, an amazing representation of the different types of nebula in the sky. They have uh, like the Crab Nebula is in there, but then there's also uh, nebulae in uh, Eridanus. Uh, there's there's the Merope Nebula. There's, uh, let's see what else is in here. There's the Horsehead Nebula, the Rosette Nebula, Hubble's Variable Nebula. There's the uh, uh, Clown Face Nebula in, in Gemini. There's some Dark Nebula, the S or the Snake, uh, Bernard Snake in uh, Ophiuchus. Ophiuchus. Um, what else is in here? Um, oh, yeah, the nebula around the this uh, Gamma Cygni, the Cygnus Loop, the North American Nebula is in there. Um, all kinds of different things, the Helix Nebula is in there. So, I, all these are, in my opinion, some of the best nebulas to look at under a dark sky. And I'm like, man, this is this is really a great uh, little list. And yeah, so, yeah. I think I've observed, I think I've observed all of these um, at one point or another. Uh, yet, um, I thought it would be kind of neat to, uh, to sort of pull them, to pull them all together. So I'm trying to convince an astrophotographer that I know, um, to, to help me with this, this project. So I wrote him, I think on Friday, he hasn't responded. So maybe it was, (laughs) maybe he wasn't so sure about it, but I think he's actually shot like about a fifth of this list already. So I'm kind of hopeful maybe, maybe he'll, uh, he'll give it some, uh, some considerations so uh go ahead
1: i I don't know if you saw the image i i I liked it on twitter or it might even have retweeted it but it was a a time lapse of the crab nebula over the last 10 years oh yeah but animated and it was incredible to see the transformation of it over a decade Mm -hmm. yeah like just again you think so many of these things are static and and that they won't change for millions of years, but to, to see it grow a little bit and some of it kind of pulse throughout, um, it was really neat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I really like looking at, at stuff like that too. Um, but there are all kinds of different projects, um, people can do or, or are working on once one website I've been looking at quite a bit recently is, uh, triple stellar journeys.org. Um, which is a website by a, a person named Larry McHenry. It's, it's on his website and everything. So if you search for that, you, you can find it. And he's got uh, all kinds of different things on there. Like he did, a, he did an Obi-Wan association. So these are like large sparse open clusters, like the Perseus, uh, Alpha Persei open cluster. Um, and he, he looked at a whole pile of them with a very fast like 80 millimeter telescope uh, and did sketches of them. And then he's, he's had all kinds of other projects. Uh, on the go it just kind of gives you an example of of where where you can go and what you can look at and I guess one of the things that I do get a little bit worried about with some of the lists some of the lists um some of the lists you uh you require just a larger and larger telescope to see and that uh that always is a little bit of a concern (laughs)
1: larger and larger telescope and sometimes it's diminishing returns yeah the example that I have is uh, I was at the Saskatchewan Summer Star Party many, many years ago, and uh, one of uh, one of the people that I would observe with somewhat frequently was doing the uh, the Herschel 400 list. Yeah. And once in a while, he'd call me over and say, "Hey, I found you know X Y Z Herschel galaxy." So yeah. I would take a look at it and go, "Oh, okay." And then 20 minutes later, another one, and "Hey Shane, come check this out." And after three or four of these, I said, "These are all really looking the same to me." Yeah. And uh, he said, he said, welcome to the Herschel 400 list. <laughs> cause, cause it's, you know, you're, you're looking at a lot of faint things and I think he was doing it with a 10 inch or maybe a 12 inch reflector. I can't remember. So, you know, he wasn't really able to tease out much detail in these galaxies. They were yeah. really just little faint puffs. And uh, you know, if you really want to start seeing anything in some of those uh, fainter objects, you need giant telescopes, but even then, you get to a point where you're just looking at more and more faint fuzzies. And uh, I don't know, like you mentioned, you looked at a lot of galaxies and, and kind of had your fill. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I don't have a reflector anymore is because I feel like I kind of hit that limit where the next sort of volume of things to look at, I, I probably needed a larger telescope to really see some detail.
0: Yeah. Like when we get Mike's 15 inch at the dark side. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Mike. Yeah. Get with it. Jeez.
2: Come on.
0: Uh, yeah, it, it's, it is, it is fun to look at those as, you know, as people are hunting them and, you know, I mean, you know, it, it is neat to, to hunt down different galaxies and, you know, I I don't knock anybody who's who's doing that. And certainly, like I said, I looked at about a thousand at one point in time. So, um, they definitely held my interest for, for a period. Um, but I mean, yeah, like you said, you're eventually just into this business of, getting uh, larger and larger telescopes and then just doing lists of, of galaxies and, you know, again, not knocking um, like the f- finest NGCs, but if you look at the finest NGCs and uh, uh, Alan Dyer created the list, Alan is uh, one of the co-authors of the uh, background astronomers guide, uh, you know, person I respect tremendously just by waiting in line with him a couple of years ago and him give me a pretty hard time for not knowing the geography of very Northern Saskatchewan, which I'm not from, um, <laughs> I think, he, I think he didn't know I was from out east or something. I didn't know where something was. And he just thought that was bizarre that I didn't know where some things were. But he was just giving me like a friendly hard time. But anyway, um, he uh, he created the the finest NGC for the RASC. And it's a great list uh, for people that are looking to kind of dabble in galaxies and see if if it's something they want to pursue a little bit further. Uh, but one of the things with that list, though, is it, it, it is a very galaxy Uh, centric uh, list. And then, uh, you know, you need to, again, you can probably do it with a five or six inch telescope, but I actually started working on that list um, when I kind of got back involved and joined a club and that sort of thing. But uh, after I went through, I I went through it for a bit and I was like, well, it's all just galaxies. I I think I'd looked at most of the galaxies, um, but there was only like, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 12, uh, nebulas and clusters and that sort of thing. And what I ended up doing is I went and observed all the non galaxy objects that I hadn't observed. I hadn't observed those. So that was kind of neat. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. And then it's just neat to see what other, what other people are, are working on and have created as lists, uh, let's do the other thing that I have been working on and I kind of, I sort of lived out this one is, um h beta targets like you can get these h beta Mm -hmm. filters and Mm -hmm. again i had had it on my list for a long time to get an h beta filter and this is years and years ago and finally they went on sale and i was able to get a two inch for a hundred dollars or 109 bucks and uh and i ended up going through and observing tons of uh hydrogen beta objects visually uh and that was a lot of fun uh, and I still do enjoy looking looking at those. A lot of time, people say, like this is the nebula filter. People say, oh, it's the horsehead filter. Why would you bother spending any money on a filter that you can see one object with? Um, but I think uh, David Neasley from Claudia Nights. I think he's created uh, an H-beta list, and I worked through. I think I worked through all the objects, so the vast majority of those objects, um, and then I even went and looked at all kinds of objects that aren't H-beta objects, and then I started sweeping for things that i didn't that i couldn't see visually um using all my filters and i found that there were some other ones like uh the eridanus arc which i I wrote an article on in 2009 seeing uh, large portions of that which turned out that was in h beta which i didn't know um are visible in h beta so anyway uh that's sort of one of those things and then i'm also working so i have the list from my list, which is always just a work in progress, the uh, Wide Field Wonders. I have the list from the Observer's uh, Handbook from 1943, which has these uh, 35 uh, galactic nebulae, of which I've seen them all, but I'm working on this as, as a different project now. Um, I'm taking a look at uh, T.W. Webb's objects, which I've also seen all of. I'm just looking at them in a different way, sort of, sort of in the way that, that he looked at them. And then um, doing a bit of Archeo, uh, astronomy. This is like my, one of my main projects. And uh, so what I do is go through some of the historical records like Ptolemy, you know, going all the way uh, back uh, long before uh, telescopes were used and taking a look like there's something called Ptolemy's quadrangle, which is just um, south uh, east of uh, Sagittarius or might be on the Sagittarius uh, Capricornus border. And it's like this large kind of cross in the sky and different things like that. Uh, I enjoy, enjoy hunting those up. Um, yeah, things like that. So that's, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm working on, Shane. Hopefully it wasn't too much of a, of a dry talk on observing lists for people, but, uh, you know, people were, we've had that question a couple of times now, like, what are you guys working on? And you know, apart from the planetary observing this past year was really, uh, about getting a good look at all those planets. Um, these are sort of the deep deep sky object uh list that uh that I'm on about anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll I'll add two more too that I that I uh am working on sort of intermittently. One I've referred to many times. Um uh, when we go to a dark site, um I like to take um Stephen James O'Mira. Uh his various books. Um he's got
0: Yeah, them up in the case them. and oh his books.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Take the books. Well, I don't actually take the books. I like to observe the items that he's written about in his books, because I have basically the same telescope that he observed all those objects with. And um, uh, they're interesting objects. So I'm, I'm trying to, to knock those ones off when we head to the grasslands. And then another one that's kind of brand new is um, um, our, like listeners submit objects that they're looking at to us. Mm. and I am recording those and plan to have looks at them too. Now, some of them are double stars, so I can do them from the backyard, but some of them are, you know, needing a dark sight. So, um, you know, maybe I should share that list one day too. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, um, you should share it. And we can put up this list from uh, 1943, um, mm-hmm. we, you know, had some sort of final update in, in the 1970s. Um yep. And so, so those would be kind of good. I don't, I don't know, although I have copyright on my, on my wide field wonders because it is published. Usually I don't share it publicly. Like sometimes if, if somebody is, and I think most people I've shared it with are members that just want like a, like a separate copy. Like I think maybe I've sent you a copy of your member of the RAC, so you kind of have a copy anyway, kind of have to be a little bit careful about that. I mean, people can buy the the observer's handbook from the RACC and, you know, I don't get paid for that or anything. It's just, uh, a publication that we put out that, uh, that raises money for, for the organization, uh, public outreach education and that they, they've certainly helped us out with projects that we've done in the past. So kind of try to be a little bit careful on that one, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, the odd time I might might mention uh, a few things. If, if I kind of go back through it, I'd like to go back through it now that I'm a sketcher and then kind of sketch everything out. And, uh, and then, you know, maybe, maybe I would publish that as, as a work, um, just, just as a free ebook publication or something like that would be fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think these show notes will be perfect for the website. So for, for anybody listening that wants to reference, uh, like this list that Chris mentioned, or just the lists that we're working on, uh, go to actual astronomy.com and, and check out the show notes for episode 86. All the details will be there.
0: Yeah. Appreciate that Shane. And, uh, We've had a few people, so we started up, uh, or I should say you started up, you, you do so much work on this podcast. Um, it's, it's pretty wild. I, I've been pretty busy teaching my class again, so I appreciate uh, all that you do. And we've had a few people, or several people anyway, uh, sponsor us through, through the Patreon on our website, and uh, I, I definitely appreciate that because um, I think when we started this, we thought oh, it'll kind of be like 100 bucks each. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where sort of the base, um, programs, not that, that we need to, to put this podcast out, um, don't quite cut it. So we always have to go up like a level and then, um, we've added some, some things on and we kind of have realized that, oh, there's, there's like another piece of software or something that, that we're going to need here in a few months, probably, and, and different things. So it kind of helps to, uh, to keep the podcast sort of moving forward and evolving. Um, so we really do appreciate those who, who have made a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a small and sometimes not, not as small financial um, contribution to us to, to make sure that we can uh, kind of keep up with, I think what, what people are looking for with the podcast. So without any further ado, Shane, uh, do you want to give us a, a thank you list of, of individuals yeah. who've been generous?
1: Yeah. Big shout out to uh, Phil, Jacques, uh, James, Bob, Eric, Hank, uh, and Larry uh, really appreciate your support through the Patreon and yeah, um glad you enjoyed the show.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you, Shane.
1: Right on. Thanks, Chris. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.